Hi everybody, happy Valentine's Day. This is Tom Hayes with Hedge Fund Tips on February 14th. We're recording our 17th podcast video cast for the week ending today, Friday on Valentine's Day. We're recording it a bit early uh, so, uh, so everyone can go celebrate. And first thing I'd like to do is to thank Jennifer Ablin, who is the US Markets Editor for the Financial Times, for quoting me in her article on Monday about uh, traders chasing the latest, um, you know, micro cap, small cap vaccine cure for coronavirus. And, and basically the, the net of what I said, and you should read it at the Financial Times website, there's a link right here. Um, you can click on Featured On, you'll see the Financial Times article and then click here to see Jennifer's article. And the basic argument I made was that, you know, all these pop and drop one and two and $5 stocks that are uh, thinking that they have the next vaccine for coronavirus or the next cure, uh, it's where retail money goes to die, uh, it basically. And, you know, some may get lucky, but by and large, uh, the way that we've played it since late January, is to be in those stocks that may have positive upside exposure from coronavirus, but are fine businesses trading at reasonable valuations for the long term, irrespective of whether they're first to the finish line with a coronavirus cure and or vaccine. And uh, the exposure we have uh, we've held over some of our Regeneron exposure from last year, which had a huge, huge move in the fourth quarter. Uh, and we initiated in, in the end of January some AbV and some uh, long-dated uh, Gilead uh, uh, that will potentially benefit Gilead and AbV have antivirals that uh, have anecdotally shown uh, that they can cure coronavirus, although they're formally testing it on large-scale numbers to see if that's going to play out over a, a larger sample. And But even if that's the case, that's not that may be a short-term needle mover, but really you have to like the businesses for what they are. And as far as playing with penny stocks that claim that they have a, a vaccine, some will get lucky, but uh, that's that's not a safe game to play unless you really have a specialized edge. So uh, that was kind of the basis of the article of these stocks that have just popped and dropped on rumors that uh, it was the next uh, cure for coronavirus. So uh, beware in that in that area. Great article by Jennifer, and thank you once again for for having me. Second, I would like to thank. Uh, Shauna Smith of Yahoo Finance for having me on Wednesday and Gret Suarez, the producer. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Definitely check in on that. I went through coronavirus. I went through extensive earnings outlook, market outlook, and you can find that also under featured on, uh, on the website and check that out. So the first thing we're going to cover, oh, also, uh, for next week, next Wednesday, the 19th of February at the 3 p.m. hour, I will be on Yahoo Finance. You can view it uh, if you're a Verizon Fios customer. You can watch it on TV. If you are, um, uh, or you can just go to the Yahoo Finance website. It streams live 
there all the time or on Roku or Apple TV. At 3 p.m., I'll be on Jen Rogers and Miles Udlin's show. Thank you, Olivia Balsamo, for putting me on that. So again, that's Wednesday the 19th at 3 p.m. And Thursday the 20th at 3 p.m., I'll be on the Claim and Countdown on Fox Business. And that I do know my hit time is usually right around right after the hour, around 3.05. Uh, thank you to Liz Clayman and Ellie Terrett, the producer, uh, floor producer, for having me on Thursday the 20th. So tune in if you're free. Moving on, we're going to start this week with uh, something very interesting. There was a Goldman Sachs note out this week about um, the single stock options notional volumes as a percentage of shares notional has risen to all-time high levels. And this was a very, very interesting note, and um, uh, there, there may be more to say about that over the weekend, but we're going to go into it briefly because I, I just thought this was timely based on what I was saying on Yahoo on Wednesday that the forward multiple now is over 19 times forward. We've come up you know, 42 some odd percent off the December lows on the S&P, 19% since the August lows, 27% on the NASDAQ since the August lows. Um, and so in order to keep going, which we'll cover on this uh, podcast video cast, we're going to need more earnings and we don't have them yet. I'm going to talk about where they might come from in the back half. But why is the single stock option notional volume as a percentage of shares notional risen to all-time high levels? And what's happening right now is a severe case of FOMO. Uh, the F stands for F I missed out or fear of missing out. Let's go with the latter and be conservative on this call in case there are, well, if you're under 18, you shouldn't be listening to this anyway. Uh, this is not investment advice. This is simply my opinion. Uh, see the terms on the website. Nonetheless, uh, FOMO's seriously going out on among active managers because many underperformed their benchmarks in 2019, trading too conservatively on trade fears and now the rally just keeps continuing. You know, everyone thought January was going to turn the calendar and everyone was going to dump their stocks for tax reasons, uh, but it just keeps climbing. And they're scrambling. What, what this is indicative of is that these active managers that have underperformed are now scrambling to get exposure after 19% move off the uh, August lows in the S&P, 27% in the NASDAQ. And it's one thing to miss one year, but if you miss two years, it's a it's a career death now. So um, this is very, very common behavior off of steep drawdowns like we had in December of 2018, nearly a 20% correction we had from the Fed uh, mismanagement during that period and, and cutting too aggressively. So what happens in these type of scenarios where you have those abrupt 20% correction is managers become shell-shocked 
and the recency bias keeps them perpetually scared as the market's climbing they continue to wait for the next shoe to drop which is exactly when it doesn't okay instead what the market does is it continues to climb the wall of worry we've been talking about it for weeks in our notes you can click on sentiment under categories in our website you'll see every note for the last year uh until Everyone, so the, the market climbs this wall of worry until everyone is finally and re reluctantly drawn back into the boat, back into the market, at which time the market can do what it always does, which is open the trap door and let, let everyone out at, at the wrong time after everyone's gotten in. Why this was so important and this chart from Goldman Sachs really stood out for me right here is the last time, so the source here, Goldman Sachs Global Investment Research, Option Metrics, as of February 10th. So uh, this stood out because it was 2012. And this was immediately following the Euro crisis, summer of 2011, where we had the 20% correction from August to October 2011. And as the market recovered, managers were too conservative waiting for the next shoe to drop and it never came, like we just talked about. The market just kept trending up. Uh, it trended up actually S&P 32% off its lows from uh, 2011, the bottom in 2011, to uh, spring of 2012, until all the managers who missed the recovery were behind their benchmarks and panicked back into the market with leverage. That's the key point to this metric, with leverage. They had to chase, they missed it. And they did that through call options to try to make up for lost ground at the exact wrong time, okay? So by the time call option volume hit historic levels, remember it rallied from the 20% correction in summer of 11 all the way to spring 12, and it just kept going and going and going. By the time they got that exposure, the market was teed up for a correction to digest the gains. And sure enough, the market had a normal correction, 10.9% from April of 2012 to June of 2012 before recovering and you know making new highs towards the back half of the year, but it rendered most of that new call premium absolutely worthless. So while you know, I think here, while we may have a little bit room, little bit of room left to run now because so many people were caught off sides overreacting to coronavirus. Um, and now the market's ripped and they were all short. So not only did you have the initial short cover shorts as the first initial buyers on the rally, but now everyone has to chase back up. Uh, as you saw, you'll see in our note, the National Association of Active Investment Managers equity exposure dropped down to 62%. So they're screwed and they'll have to chase a little bit more. So I think maybe, you know, another week or so, maybe we could get a few more points uh, here, but based on the amount of call option val volume and people chasing the top here, uh, you know, we have been, as I've put in my notes, and you'll see, you can check on the website, we've been trimming back the names that have had monster runs off the August lows and reallocating into areas that haven't yet run. Um, and, and just lightening up and also building some cash as well. So we want to participate, but we also want to be defensive here because, uh, you know, what's the old saying? Uh, bulls make money, bears get make money, pigs get slaughtered. So we don't want to be a pig after a monster, monster gain. And um, so, you know, basically, 
while there might be a little little more gas in the tank here, the risk reward ratio is not favorable to be initiating new exposure in the short term following a 43% rally off the S&P off the December 18 lows. A uh, better time will, will be coming to reload in coming months when much of this new option premium has decayed or gone worthless. So this Goldman thing is very, very timely. My interpretation is a bit different, but uh, it really traces back to a similar situation. So enjoy what's left of this, uh, but I, do, I don't think it's the time to get a ton of exposure to the stocks that have already had monster runs. Definitely time to rotate into some laggard sectors in our view. Um, time to build some cash. We have some selective shorts. So we'll probably, you know, get a little more aggressive on that front in coming weeks if we move higher. But uh, this this says it all, and, and we are due for a little pullback. Nothing, you know, catastrophic or crazy. Because in the back half, I see good things happening, and we'll talk about that now. Okay, uh, so here we are. This week's key article was Chris Jansen, Good Vibes, Stock Market and Sentiment Results. And uh, I love this song just to get us in the mood. If you don't know who Chris Jansen is, uh, here it is. Okay, for you non-country fans, sorry I let that go a little bit too long, but uh, you know I might have gone through the whole thing, so just be happy. I, re I remember there was a pause button there. Uh, love that song, and that's kind of the sentiment that we've been in with the market here. You know, no one wants to hear any bad news. Be quiet. Everything's great, and and that's been the that's been the play. But I think now when you start to look at uh, estimates coming in a little bit, multiples expanding a little bit. And uh, where's where's the justification going to come from? The Fed starting to kind of like waffle on how much liquidity they're going to continue to provide. I think they'll they'll stay in the game, but maybe not as aggressive as the last five months. It's just a good time in the next month or so to to start to see maybe a breather. So um, this recaps that, and our market market commentary note: the comprehensive one was a little bit earlier this week. And we're going to just talk about some of the factors that are constructive uh, for us being bullish intermediate term for the end of the year. For the whole year, we're bullish. In the short term, I, I think we probably have a breather coming up after you know a week or two here once, we, once they flush out all the people who were wrong-footed on coronavirus in the short term. So uh, earnings actually, this was written on Tuesday. Earnings came down another little bit uh, today on Friday. So it's down to 176.25, which was uh, down from 176.47 last week. So, you know, now we're at 9% 9, 9 earnings growth for 2020. The multiple's high. Um, and uh, and the average for the last five years is 16.7 times multiple. So uh, the other argument is, will people say, well, relative to the 10-year, where else are you going to go? The dividend yield on the S&P is higher than dividend yield on the 10-year. Uh, the earnings yield is whatever it is, 5.8% relative to that. And, and those are all valid. And that's why we've run 42% off the bottom in 2018 for sure. Um, 
But we need more earnings. The bottom line is having a 19 times forward multiple, look, if it's late cycle, some people believe this is very, very late innings, then the multiple could go as high as 2021, and then you get a bigger correction. If you're mid-ish late cycle, you're going to need earnings to support this because uh, this, you know, the, um, the multiple is a bit high. So the earnings could come from three places. Number one, in December before the phase one deal was announced, the week before Duke did their survey, CEO, CFO sentiment was at uh, its lowest level since March 2009 and uh, late 2002, both of which were major bottoms in the market, not major tops. So uh, that was a week before the deal was signed. The deal got signed, everyone got bullish, and then coronavirus came. So guidance should start to improve as more and more data comes out that coronavirus is contained. That's the good news. The bad news is Boeing's taken 50 bips off GDP, the, basically the 50 bips that we would have gained from, from the China deal. But now China is uh, in a rough shape. So, uh, certainly for Q1 is going to look, uh, is, is going to have some weakness. And that's why I said in coming weeks in, in my Yahoo appearance, I said in coming weeks, uh, probably you'll start to see a few companies saying, oh, Q1's a little soft because of coronavirus. We had to shut down this. We had to shut down that. Even if it gets contained, the backward looking data will be a weekish. Uh, so we won't get that really confident guidance until this Corona thing is, you know, really pared down and at a 19 times multiple, you really need strong guidance. So guidance is probably not going to come for another month and a half, two months, the type of guidance we need to grow earnings. So let's take that off the table for right now. Second is the U.S. dollar. Um, we're not seeing any weakness in the dollar because, uh, everyone's, into has to buy the dollar to buy treasuries, the safe haven asset. So that's getting bid up because of coronavirus. As coronavirus subsides, money will come out of the dollar, come out of treasuries. And that year on year, even if we get a few few percentage points, will be material for S&P earnings. But now it's pushed back a quarter. Again, helps the back half, doesn't help the front half. And third, most important thing of the whole story is Boeing. Boeing is the make or break for the, for the year. Uh, Boeing estimates have come down $16 in the last 60 days, which speaks to two things. Number one, it's had an enormous impact on S&P earnings. But during that 60 days, S&P earnings have, uh, in, in the aggregate, haven't fallen that much, despite Boeing taking, a, give or take 10% off, off the top line of, of earnings, the market's held up, which means in aggregate, Earnings have been better than expected. Guidance is going up for the 499 other components while Boeing is collapsing. So basically what happens is, so the FAA a couple weeks ago said things were going better than expected on Boeing and the, thing, the stock rallied, I don't know, $15, $20, whatever it was. That's good news. But until that plane gets approved and it gets off the ground, we don't bring that earnings power back onto the uh, S&P 500. It's expected to come in the summer. So given, you know, let's hope early third quarter. But if the Boeing, if the FAA comments meant anything, maybe it comes late to mid second quarter, which would be unbelievable. Um, because if you add that back, which you will pretty instantaneously because it's a duopoly situation and they don't have to knock on doors for customers, those orders will come right back in once the FAA signs off on it. 
$16 to S&P earnings takes, would take the multiple, would take earnings over 190, would take the multiple forward earnings over 190, would take the multiple down from 17, from 19 back down to 17, which is in line with the five-year average. And with the 10-year trading so low, it's actually, the market would be really, really cheap. So Boeing turns around, everything turns around overnight and the market can rally. I think that's more of a early third and, and certainly fourth quarter. That's how we are bullish for 2020. I think this air pocket, you know, couple weeks out maybe when, when guidance starts to come in a little soft for Q1 is where we get a normal digestion of a 40, 42% rally. Uh, and that's kind of how we're looking at things and we'll change our minds as the facts change. Second thing I covered was the Federal Reserve most important thing here from the Fed meeting this week was the and and in the last couple of weeks was the talk about the labor force participation rate and why that's important is because basically pre-crisis it was over 67% labor force participation rate dropped down to 62 and a half by 2015 uh, worst recovery on hi- in history, and and also certainly worst uh, uh, recession on history since the Great Depression. So they kind of go hand in hand. But it's been rising ever since, from sixty two and a half to this most recent employment report uh, a week and a half ago showed sixty three point four percent. And Larry Kudlow went on Bloomberg that day and said we could potentially add another six million people to the labor force. So, you know, three point six percent unemployment rate, lowest in fifty years, is certainly something to celebrate. But boy, if we get that labor force participation rate even up to sixty-five and put another three, four, five, six million people back to work, you want to see GDP growth and you want to see the economy hum and you want to see prosperity. It will be unbelievable how it's going to happen the only way it can happen is the fed has to keep the pedal to the metal and what i mean by that is that um they basically raised rates nine times from late 2015 to late 2018 and in an effort to slow the economy and they had to work day and night uh but they finally did it and they Basically, for those of you who lived through it in December of 18, it was called the Christmas Eve Massacre. The market basically crashed 20% uh, in a short period of time. The other thing that they did in their earnest attempt to crush the economy was they drained $785 billion of liquidity in quantitative tightening over that two-year period altogether. So just like there was a lagged effect to crush growth, and when I say crush growth, it's evidenced in three consecutive quarters of negative earnings growth, Q1, Q2, Q3, 2019, were negative earnings growth year on year because of the Fed's actions over two years straight. They finally did an about face in summer of 2019, realized the errors of their ways, and they cut three times and they've added over 415 or 420 billion dollars of liquidity in the last uh call it four and a half months so the good news is is they changed course and we're seeing the effects 
The bad news is we have to wait for the lagged effects. So just like we had to wait two years for the economy to slow after all the tightening, we'll have to wait, you know, six to nine months or so to see the effects of the enhanced liquidity and the rate cuts in the economy. And again, that starts to bode well for, you know, later Q2, early Q3 kind of time period uh, versus versus today. That's number one. Number two, if they want to move the needle on the labor force participation rate, they've only unwound less than half of what they did over those two years. So we've only done three cuts out of nine, uh, three cuts out of nine raises. So that's, uh, you know, a third. And then the quantitative tightening, which I think is more important. I don't, I know the market's pricing in more cuts. I don't think you're going to get more cuts, but I do think if they want to increase the labor force participation rate, they're going to continue to expand liquidity and they'll probably make a mistake in the short term and try to tighten it too quickly because that's what they like to do. But my sense is they'll be more reluctant to cut and more likely to increase liquidity. And they've got a whole nother, you know, 385 million billion to unwind of liquidity that they can continue to increase liquidity. They could keep rates where it is and that would start to really move the needle. And I believe Chair Powell is sincerely earnest in wanting to help these people that have not benefited from the recovery that are called discouraged workers that have been that are no longer counted in the workforce uh in the calculations and and help them come back into the workforce be productive feel the sense of accomplishment and i believe that's his mission and i believe that's a really good thing but he has to know that the only way to do that is to let the economy run hot we have no real signs of inflation so in order to get these people back in, you got to have um, uh, capital competing for labor. And the way they do that is wage in, a little bit of wage inflation. And that also attracts the people off the sidelines who are maybe, you know, discouraged and don't want to take a chance. Uh, so it's a good thing all around. So I think the liquidity will continue uh, probably more aggressively as, as the year goes on. Uh, it's kind of leveled off a little bit here recently, which is another reason I think we're going to digest some of the gains uh, after, you know, after the next week or two, uh, start to digest some of it. But we'll, we'll see and we'll, we'll change as the facts change. Um, so that was the basis of the argument. As far as the short term, uh, you know, sentiment shot up to 41% on the bullish side, which is, you know, higher end of the, the spectrum. It can go higher in the long term. We've shown that in recent weeks. So here it is. Um, and we probably do get a little bit higher before we, we plateau a bit. Uh, fear and greed was the same week on week. And here's what I was talking about, the active investment manager's exposure. Uh, they're screwed here, you know, with the market rallying out of that, uh, out of this coronavirus correction, it's way up and they're way down. Again, flat-footed and offsides. And that's why you're seeing all this panic into options to try to catch up. And that usually uh, leads to um, uh, the market digesting and letting that premium expire worthless and, and decay massively. So that's the story for the core article of this week. Next thing is we... Um, do sector earnings, this is the earnings of the industrials in the last 60 days. Another reason that I'm saying maybe a week or two, but I, I, don't, I don't think we have much more. You know, I think the market wants to certainly get over 30,000 on the Dow. It seems like it wants to get to 10,000 plus on the NASDAQ, maybe 34, 34, 
50, 3,500. Uh, I don't think 3,500 right away, but in that range on the S&P before cooling. But uh, industrials were way down, but uh, uh, estimates for 2020, they're down 7.02% in the last 60 days. But again, if you exclude Boeing, they're only down 1.85%, but they are down. Boeing is going to be critical for that back half. So if we digest the gains in Q2, um, liquidity stays up, and then Boeing comes back, we could have a nice end to the year. And that's what keeps us intermediate term, bullish short term, a little bit more, and then probably a little more cautious. So that's on industrials. And finally was uh, this week, S&P estimates came down from 176.47 to 176.25. So they're creeping down a little bit. The multiple's creeping up. Again, another reason for the theme of this week's podcast and videocast. I'd like to thank you for tuning in this week. Happy Valentine's Day. Please tune in on Wednesday, 3 p.m. on Yahoo and Thursday, 3 p.m. on Fox Business if you're around. Otherwise, we'll see you back here next week. Same time, same place. Make it a great one.